You're listening to the Living Leadership Podcast, growing disciple-making leaders. Thanks for downloading this episode of the Living Leadership Podcast. My name is Paul Coulter and I'm part of the staff team with Living Leadership. This is the first of a three-part series that's going to draw some reflections from John chapter 21. John 21 is a distinctive chapter in the book of John and John's Gospel. Just as John opens his book with a prologue that introduces Jesus as the pre-incarnate word who takes on flesh, so he ends his, his Gospel with what many people call an epilogue in chapter 21. And the reason they call it that is that uh, John uh, seems to bring his gospel more or less to a conclusion at the end of chapter 20 with a, a statement that explains his reason for writing. These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that you might have life through his, in, uh, and that by believing you might have life. And in fact, the, the pinnacle in many ways of John's gospel is Thomas's statement in John 20, verse 28. Uh, in response, when he sees the risen Jesus, he says, my Lord and my God. That's the last of a, a number of declarations of the identity of Jesus throughout John's gospel. And it's the pinnacle of them. It's the clearest and the fullest uh, statement, certainly in John, probably in all of the gospels uh, and probably in the whole New Testament, actually, of the identity of Jesus as Lord and as God. But the, this epilogue in chapter 21 is, it, it, it follows on from that and, and it serves an important purpose for a couple of reasons. Uh, for one, it completes the story of Simon Peter. It explains what happened to Peter after the resurrection and how he was restored by Jesus. But it also uh, serves a function in giving us a sense of what it's going to look like to serve this Jesus, this risen Jesus, as Lord and God. In some ways, John 21 is a pattern for mission or for ministry, for the service of the risen Jesus, for the mission that Jesus in chapter 20 commissions the disciples to when he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. Um, and, and he says to them, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. They're to go into the world as servants of God, just as Jesus was a servant of God. <clears throat> now, in this three-part series, we're going to uh, frame our thoughts around a, a very simple phrase that I think is a, a, almost a definition of faithful Christian ministry. And the statement is this, faithful ministers lead people in obedience to Jesus. Or perhaps we might say faithful leaders lead people into obedience to Jesus. Faithful leaders lead people in obedience to Jesus. And so over these three episodes, by looking at John 21, we're going to think about three aspects of that statement. We're going to do it in reverse order. I'm an Irishman, uh, as you can tell by my accent. And uh, so uh, I like to do things back to front. But we'll begin with the person of Jesus in John 21 and then with the question of obedience to Jesus and then with how to lead people and relationships with people that, uh, and what John 21 teaches us. Now, in order to appreciate this and to get the most out of it, it's really quite important that you read John 21. So I would encourage you, if you haven't done that, pause this podcast and go and read it. Uh, 
read it slowly and thoughtfully, get familiar with it. I'm not going to take the time to read it in each episode, so I'll assume that you have it, that you've read it, or if you haven't, that you have it in front of you and you can reference what I say. But John 21 uh, takes us to Galilee. In John 20, we have the uh, account of three appearances of Jesus after his resurrection. First of all, to Mary Magdalene, then to 10 of the remaining 11 of the 12. Judas is dead, of course, uh, and Thomas is not present when Jesus appears. And then we have Jesus appearing to the 11, including Thomas and Thomas's wonderful declaration of faith. And so John 21 begins with the words, after this, following on after that, Jesus again appears to the twelve. Uh, and this appearance is in Galilee. It's beside the Sea of Tiberias, as John calls it, the lake uh, that we know as the Sea of Galilee. There are seven of the disciples there, Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, uh, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples who aren't named. And so they're together in Galilee. And that's not a surprise because Jesus first appeared to the disciples in Jerusalem. Uh, but he told them, according uh, to the other Gospels, to, to go to Galilee and to wait for him there. Now, perhaps the most famous uh, appearance of Jesus to the disciples, uh, perhaps of, of all of them, of all the ones that's recounted, but certainly um, in Galilee is, is Matthew 28 where Jesus commissions them to make disciples of all nations. But the events of John 21 also happen in Galilee. And although we don't know the chronology, we don't know the order, it seems to me that, that these events in John 21 probably came before that commissioning on uh, the mountain in Galilee. Of course, after that, Jesus uh, the disciples went back to Jerusalem. Jesus appeared to them again there. And when he ascended to heaven, it was from the Mount of Olives, according to Acts chapter 1. But these seven disciples are in Galilee. But although I've used the word appeared to describe Jesus coming to them, actually, that's not the word that John uses. And, and this is important. It says, verse one, after this, Jesus revealed himself again to them. And later on in verse 14, it says this was the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Not necessarily the third time in chronological order, but the third episode that, that John records for us in his gospel. But it's that word revealed that I think is significant. This is a revelation of Jesus. Of course, that's a word that John will use um, in, in the book that we call Revelation to describe the vision that he's given of Jesus when he's on the island of Patmos uh, and what is revealed to him of, of what's going on in heaven and of what will happen on the earth. Well, here is, uh, is, is a revelation of the risen Jesus to seven disciples. And ministry begins with a revelation of the risen Lord Jesus. It has to begin with the confession of faith that comes from Thomas's lips in chapter 20. My Lord and my God. It has to begin with a clear understanding of Jesus and a vision of Jesus. 
But what is it that, that Jesus reveals of himself to these disciples in Galilee? Well, I think there are two things. He reveals his lordship and his servitude. Now, in many ways, of course, these are the things that Jesus has revealed to them repeatedly throughout John's gospel. He's shown them his power and his authority through the miraculous signs. He's shown them his servitude in many instances, but especially in John 11 when he washes their feet. But here again, Jesus, the risen Jesus, shows them both his lordship and his character of servitude. And these are the principles from which true Christian service flows. An understanding of the lordship of Christ. That leads to obedience, which we'll think about in the next episode, and an understanding of the servant character of Jesus that becomes our model for leadership. The lordship of Jesus is clear. He appears to them initially uh, as a stranger on the shore. Some of the post-resurrection appearances, it seems that Jesus was not immediately recognisable. Either he looked different after his resurrection or uh, perhaps because the understanding of the disciples was veiled in, in some way. There's no need to see that here. It's possible. But, but the fact that they don't recognise him when they see him on the shore could simply be because he's at a distance and it's dawn and the light is only dawning. But in a sense, the, the revelation of Jesus in this, in this chapter comes is enacted by the Lord in a very powerful way. These men decide to go fishing. Peter says, I'm going fishing. Nothing wrong with that. I don't think it's necessarily disobedient. We'll think of that in the next episode. But, but in that act of, of fishing, they catch nothing, even though they fish all night. Night was probably a very natural time to do your fishing when there's no shadow from the boat to scare the fish away. But, uh, but in John's gospel, night also often has a significance. It's people who are in darkness. But as the day is breaking, the dawn, verse 4, Jesus stands on the shore. And as if the dawn is breaking in their understanding of who this is, initially they don't recognize him. And he gives them a bit of friendly advice. He calls out children or potentially guys, lads. Do you have any fish? And they say no. And then he gives them some advice, that the kind of advice that a, a, a passing stranger might give. Maybe, maybe they think he can see something they can't see from his vantage point. He can see a shoal of fish or, or whatever, but, but put down the net on the other side. And of course, as soon as that happens, as soon as they do it, it starts to fill with fish and they're not able to haul it in because the quantity of the fish is so many, 153 large fish. And it's then that John, the disciple whom Jesus loves, recognizes who this stranger is. It's the Lord, he says to Peter. And Simon Peter hears it and immediately in characteristic fashion, he, he well, first of all, he dresses. Um, seems a bit odd to me, but I'm sure he had his reasons. He puts on his outer garment uh, over the underclothes or his naked body that he's been working in. And he jumps in the water. Uh, 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 so he gets dressed to go swimming rather than the other way around. But he swims to Jesus. He, he can't wait to be with the Lord. Ministry begins with a revelation of Jesus. 
But the amazing thing is Peter comes close to Jesus as Jesus says to him and to the other disciples, look, bring me some of the fish that you've caught. But there's a bit of an irony in this because verse 9 tells us when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire with fish laid out on it and bread. In other words, Jesus doesn't need the fish that they're bringing to him. Jesus already has a meal on the go for them. This is Jesus, the Lord, who supplies their needs. He's done it before. John 6 tells us of the feeding of the 5,000, and it's bound to have resonated in their minds as they saw this meal of fish and bread, isn't it? It's a standard Galilean meal, but the significance must have been powerful because back in Galilee, those years earlier, Jesus had fed the 5,000 with fish and loaves. And the Lord who had multiplied the, the, the lunch of a small boy has either, I don't know whether he caught the fish or whether he, he created the fish, but he supplies their needs, just as he had supplied them as they served the 5,000 and more people. They received a lunchbox full, each of the 12, after the event. This is the Lord who calls us to his service and who promises to supply what we need. He's not dependent on what we bring in from our service. The catch of fish, of course, is a metaphor, not just for fish, but for the spiritual haul that Jesus wants them to have. But it's vital that we understand as we begin to think about ministry that the Lord doesn't need the fruitfulness of our ministry. He already has all that we need to be well supplied in our service of him. And he will not leave us if we walk faithfully with him. He will not leave us unprovided for. I find it quite beautiful that Jesus has business to do with Peter. He needs to restore Peter, who had denied him. We'll think about that in a moment. But first he cooks a meal. And it's only, verse 15 says, when they had finished breakfast. Here is the Lord who is sovereign, who supplies the lordship of Jesus. But it's also the servant character of Jesus, because here is the same Lord who had washed their feet, cooking their breakfast. He doesn't call them in and say, would you cook for me? He doesn't call them to, to, to his priority in that sense of, of restoring Peter. First, he supplies their needs and he does it in servant fashion. And here is the pattern of ministry, isn't it? We live in a world that's obsessed with leadership, but leadership is servanthood scripturally. In fact, scripture is much more concerned that we are servants of God and of Christ and of the gospel and of others for Christ's sake than it is with leadership. We don't lead people by setting a vision that is our vision or that we believe God has given us and then calling people to follow that vision or to work towards it. We lead people by setting an example of faithful obedience to Jesus and inspiring and encouraging and resourcing others to live in the same obedience. More of that in the next episode. But the important thing to realize here is that as Jesus calls Peter, uh, and it's not clear in verse 15, but it becomes clear later when we realize that John is following them in verse 20, that they go on a walk together along the shore. I love that. 
that picture of, of a satisfied belly and a call to walk alongside his master along the beach. And Jesus asks him three times, do you love me? Now you may have heard it suggested, you may even have preached it, that there are two different words for love in this passage. And, uh, and there's a suggestion that maybe Jesus asks about a stronger love and Peter responds with a weaker love. Other commentators say, actually, we shouldn't put any weight on that because these words overlap in their meaning. And, and John likes to use synonyms anyway and, and vary his vocabulary a little bit. I don't know which of those is true, but whether we see it in the Greek words that are used to describe the conversation or not, there is certainly a degree of hesitancy on Peter's part. This is the Peter who had said that he would die with Jesus, he would never abandon him, the one who had boldly proclaimed it. And within that proclamation, there seems to have been more than a smidgen of pride. Oh, even if everybody else abandons you, I will stick with you. And what does Jesus say to him? He says, do you love me more than these? Uh, and almost certainly Jesus is saying, do you love me more than these other disciples love me? Rather than do you love me more than you love the other disciples or more than you love your boats and your nets? No, I think this is Jesus probing the heart of Peter. Peter, you're the one who said that you love me more than anybody else does. Well, there can be a pride in ministry, can't there? Looking at others and thinking we love Jesus more. More of that in episode three of this series. But Jesus wants to confront Peter and he does it gently and tenderly, yet relentlessly and directly by asking him the same question three times. Do you love me? And it's on the third time that Peter is struck to the heart, grieved, because he knows that this is, is probing the point of his greatest weakness, the shame of his denial of Jesus. Peter is the man of threes, three times denying Jesus, three times asked about his love, three times in acts seeing the vision of the of a sheep lowered down with the unclean animals in Acts 10, whenever um, God is preparing him for the call to go to Cornelius' house. But here is this three times probing, but restoring. The Lord is not going to leave Peter with any doubt about his restoration, or with any doubt that the basis of his ministry, and in the next episode we'll think about what that uh, ministry is, or rather in the last episode, the third episode, what that ministry with people entails. It's a shepherding ministry, though, and three times the Lord says, feed my sheep or tend my sheep or my lamb. But it starts with the question, do you love me? Is that our motivation in ministry? A love for the Lord Jesus, it ought to be. If ministry begins with a revelation of Jesus, with the faith that comes from seeing who Jesus is, the resurrected Jesus, the Lord and the servant, it continues with love for Jesus, doesn't it? We're meant to serve him out of a loving relationship. In many ways, it's the most important question that I could ask you of you, of you in your ministry is, do you love Jesus? 
And the Peter who is asked that question is the one who will later write in First Peter, the letter we call First Peter. He'll write and say, although you haven't seen him, you love him and are filled with joy in your hope that you will see him. Do you love him? Do I love him? Could it be that my love has grown cold? I've forgotten my first love. I've got so caught up with the busyness and the routine and the challenges and stresses and uh, of ministry. Or I've got caught up with trying to please other people and I've forgotten my love of Jesus. If that's you, then please after this episode, or even now, if you prefer, just shut it off, switch it off, and go and spend time meditating on who Jesus is. Read through John's Gospel. See the beauty of Christ, the sufficiency of Jesus. Ministry begins with a revelation of who Jesus is. Ministry is fueled and continues with a loving relationship with Jesus, a devotion to him. And thirdly and lastly, as we get to the end of the chapter, there's this wonderful statement in verse 25, the very last statement in the book. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. It's a statement of the greatness of Christ, isn't it? All the books in the world couldn't tell you everything there is about what he has done or explain to you the full significance of who he is. A lifetime of service isn't enough to discover all that there is to discover in him. An eternity is needed of discovery, of service, of loving relationship. And every day, if, if there are days in eternity, I suppose there aren't. There's no sun, is there, in the new creation, if, if revelation's to be taken literally. But, but, but uh, much as we might struggle to conceive of it, the point is that, that, that an eternal existence will still never be bored with Jesus. And the invitation of John, I think, as we think of those words about all the books that could be written, is to say, will the book of your life and the book of my life be about Jesus? Will it be about the character and the person of Jesus, the lordship of Christ and the servant character of Jesus, the humble servant and son of God, who is our model in leadership? Because if we're going to be effective, faithful leaders, we're going to have to learn humility from Christ. We're going to have to make ourselves servants of others and we're going to have to be captivated by the Lordship of Christ and stop lording it over others, but serve them in his name. Again, more of that in the next episode. But if we're going to be sustained in ministry, we've got to have a loving relationship with Jesus. We've got to hear him saying to us, do you love me? And we've got, with faltering voice, no doubt, with shamed heart, because we know how weak our love is, but to express that love to him. Lord, you know I love you. You know my heart. You know that I love you. Increase my love. But if we're going to, to sustain our, be sustained in a lifetime of ministry as well, we've got to have a great vision of Jesus.
A lot is said about vision and leadership. I think a lot of it needs to be questioned because often it goes along the lines of a, that a leader is a person who has a vision and knows where he's taking people. Again, we'll challenge that in the next episode a little, but simply to say now that if vision matters in leadership, and I think it does in one sense, but it is a vision for Jesus, a vision for the glory and the greatness of Jesus, for the name of Jesus, for the gospel of Jesus Christ as Saviour and Lord, for the transformation that Jesus can bring in the lives of people, for what it means for another person to be restored uh, as as a as a whole person under the Lord Jesus. Let me remind you of the little phrase that shapes this series. Faithful ministers lead people in obedience to Jesus. If we want to be faithful ministers, our ministry begins with a revelation of Jesus, the risen Jesus as Lord and servant. A ministry proceeds through loving relationship with the risen Jesus, devotion to him. And ministry is inspired by a great vision of Jesus and his glory. Let's learn from him how to be servants again. Let me pray for you as I draw this episode to a conclusion. Father, I pray for those who are listening and those who have listened. I pray, Father, that you would give them a fresh vision of Jesus, a revelation of who he is in his glory, in his lordship, and in the beauty of the humility of servanthood in his character. May he be our inspiration. I pray that you would rekindle our love for him. Help us to appreciate him. Help us to hear him say, do you love me? And to respond with willing hearts, yes, we love you. And that is enough to sustain us and motivate us in ministry, but help us to have a great vision for the glory of Jesus. Help our lives to become a story that is written about what Jesus is doing and who Jesus is and what Christ has done through us. And may it be clear at every point along the way that we seek no glory for self, but only for him. Make it so in us, we pray, Lord, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Living Leadership Podcast. For more about Living Leadership, to connect with us, to give, or to sign up for regular prayer news, please visit livingleadership.org. Blessings.